time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. If you've been following me for the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been kind of focusing on the self. Uh, the first week we talked about how do you build self-confidence, and I pointed out the fact that self-confidence is not the starting point, that courage is the starting point. So confidence comes after you've taken steps forward with courage, because courage means we take action, and that action leads to a building competence. The competence is where true confidence comes from. Also, the definition of confidence, if we can move that definition of confidence to I will succeed to I will figure it out as I go, I can figure this whole process out step by step, we do a lot better. We always start, though, with courage. And then last episode, I talked about self-esteem and the fact that in our culture, we've taken this brilliant idea about uh, how you can feel good by doing good. You feel good about yourself because you're doing good things in the world, doing good things in your life, taking responsibility for your life. Nathaniel Brandon's idea of self-esteem, which we have kind of reduced in our culture to just feeling good about ourselves, and that ends up being fairly problematic. So we talked about the six pillars of self-esteem so that you can look at which ones are weaker for you and work on building those up. One of those was about self-acceptance. And self-acceptance is the topic that I wanted to return to today in the frame of self-forgiveness. Because what I've realized is a lot of times we have a hard time accepting ourselves partly because of actions in our past. I'm not talking about horrible things. You know, you might not have committed any major infractions in your life, but we all do and say things that may cause damage to other people and to ourselves. We all do and say things that fall short of our own personal standards. And when that happens, we sometimes can get anchored to those events. And those anchors hold us back and keep us from moving forward, which is where we're really talking about how we move forward by forgiving ourselves. Now, I've talked a lot about uh, forgiveness as a process in lots of different ways. In fact, I've got a book coming out, out in October about my forgive process. The book's called The Forgive Process because it's a process, a step-by-step process for how you forgive. And that same piece also relates to ourselves. The reason I think forgiveness is so important is because it allows us to release those events from the past, those hurtful events from the past including releasing our own places of hurt, the place where we might have hurt others and hurt our own selves in the process. And that's what is the process of self-forgiveness. We often find ourselves tortured by the past shortfallings, the places where we, we didn't quite keep up with, with our, our, where we want to be, our ideal self. This can keep you stuck and locked down, not just to that event, but to your old self. So sometimes when we remind ourselves, and we often do that as humans, constantly of the places where we have fallen short, that we know we've fallen short, not only do we anchor ourselves to those events, but to that old self that did those events. And we have to find some way of moving forward. So self-forgiveness is not about getting off the hook, but it's about learning and growing and moving. 
You see, sometimes I think that we've made forgiveness way too hard, and sometimes I think we've made it way too easy. If you've ever had that experience where you said, oh, okay, I'll just forgive them and, and, you know, just not even think about that. Forgive and forget, as they say. That doesn't work very well. We can toss that around, but it doesn't work real well. And it doesn't work when we apply it to others, where somebody does something that hurts us and we say, oh, forgive and forget. If you can forget it, it probably wasn't a big deal anyway. And forgiving is not so much never remembering it again as much as understanding things differently and deciding how to deal with those things differently. So that's how we make it too easy. Sometimes, though, we make it too hard that somehow we have to go through some process of punishing ourselves or punishing somebody else if we're trying to forgive somebody else. But in this case, punishing ourselves to constantly remind ourselves of where we fall short. And that doesn't make it much easier either. The fact is, the reason that we do anything anytime, that anybody does anything anytime, is because it seems reasonable at that moment. Epictetus, the philosopher, a Stoic philosopher from way back, reminds us that, that that's why he was asked, why would somebody do that? And he said, because it seemed reasonable. There was a reason they did it. We don't do things that seem unreasonable to us. Now, in hindsight, they might look entirely unreasonable. We may look back and and be shocked by what we would have done, but at at the moment, it seemed reasonable. At the time, we had a reason. We might outgrow the reason. We might understand things differently and realize that that's not a good reason. We might reframe things and understand that there was something higher that could have happened. But in the moment, we're doing things because it seems reasonable. So what are those reasons that we might do things ourselves to other people that might be hurtful? Maybe even put ourselves in a bad situation. Many times it's about trying to save face. All you have to do is look in the paper to watch as people are desperately trying to save face after doing something that was less than honorable or or less than decent. And that's what all of the news cycles seem to be about these days, about how people are uh, deceiving further weaving bigger webs of deception, trying to not deal with the past, not deal with what's happened, not deal with those moments. And in that process, that their efforts are all about trying to save face. And so sometimes we do things, we take actions that are helping us save face. Sometimes it's taking action to gain advantage of some sort, whether it's financial advantage or, or uh, gain an advantage of feeling better about ourselves or gain an advantage of, of power over somebody else or gain some level of advantage in our head. We, we tend to do things that will uh, help us gain advantage. The problem is when you gain advantage, somebody's losing advantage. We're, we're, we're taking someone something away. And so when we do actions that we know we ought not to do in order to gain advantage, we're doing it at an unfair cost to the other person. Now, let me be very clear. I'm not saying that everybody is on an equal playing field or that you can't work hard in order to get ahead. I'm talking about when we take action to gain advantage, that's kind of a shortcut, that we're doing it without our own effort really being there, that we're, we're somehow taking advantage of a situation. And so we take advantage to gain advantage. We do things to save face. We do things to take advantage or get, gain advantage. And we also do things to avoid responsibility. Have you ever had that moment when you 
claim not to have been involved in something, not so much because you weren't involved, but because you didn't want to feel responsible for it. Or, or maybe you didn't take some action because if you took action, you would have to actually be stepping up and taking responsibility. Well, that's part of what happens when we come from our weaker self, our lower self, when we're not listening to that higher self, when we allow ourselves to get on our own way, we're doing things because we want to avoid responsibility. So those are the big three reasons that tend to lead us to take actions that are maybe not so upright, maybe not within what we would normally want to do. And those are to save face, to gain advantage, and to avoid responsibility, which leads us to the place where we often have regrets from our actions in the past. Which reminds me of Maya Angelou's saying, she said, I did then what I knew how to do. Now that I know better, I do better. Let me say that again. I did then what I knew how to do. Now that I know better, I do better. Those are echoing Epictetus' thoughts that we all have a reason at that point. It doesn't mean that the reason after the fact might not go away. And it's because it goes away that we then have to look to somehow release that, to let loose of what's holding us back and somehow move forward with self-forgiveness. So just for a moment, I want you to think back on maybe some things over which you have some regrets, some words that you might have said, some actions that you might have taken that you know were not where you needed to be. Even if at that moment you thought it was exactly where you needed to be, but looking back, you know differently. I want to give you five steps on how we work towards self-forgiveness. And the first one is really an acceptance of what happened. If just a minute ago, when I asked you to recall some of those things that maybe you said or did that you regret having said or did, if you found yourself resisting it, if you found yourself trying to find a way to not have had that happen, to really want to not look at it, recognize that part of what you're struggling with is the first level of acceptance. Unless we're willing to accept what we did, what happened, the circumstances around that, our own responsibility in those circumstances, we tend to stay locked to them. Only when we can say, yeah, I did that and I'm not proud of that, can we begin to accept that it's happened and let it shift towards history, towards the past. The first thing then is to accept what happened. Remember, acceptance for me is not giving in. It's not a giving up. It's setting a beginning point. When we can accept the life we've lived, then we can begin to move forward from it. This is one of those key pieces. If you look at recovery, the 12-step process, the first step is just saying, you know, I'm, I'm not in control of what, what's happened. I'm not in control of all of my life, and I have to assume responsibility where I can. I mean, that's the beginning point of that is to accept where you've been, wherever it is to accept that place and decide you're moving forward from there. The second step is an acceptance of who you were. So many times we want to not be who we were. Maybe you weren't the most loving person, or maybe you weren't the most accepting person, or maybe you were more judgmental than you wish you had been, or maybe you were more cruel than you wish you had been, or maybe some other piece comes to you, dishonest, or some other layer of that, and you have to struggle with that. 
But Maya Angelou's words remind us that we're always growing towards something better. We do what we do because it makes sense and is reasonable at the time, but five minutes later, it may may make no sense. So many times in my life, I've said things out of anger that immediately I regretted having said. Now, I could either pretend I didn't say it or pretend it was somebody else's fault that I said it, or I could accept that it happened and accept that who I was at that moment in my angry state was not who I needed to be, but it was where I was. It was who I was at that moment. Remember, changes can happen. It doesn't have to be something that was 10 years ago. Changes can happen in a moment. You may suddenly have a new awareness. Maybe you said something that hurt someone's feelings, and instead of resorting to the, oh, I was just kidding you, or I didn't mean it that way, or don't take it so personally, you say, wow, I hurt somebody's feelings, and I've got to take responsibility for my actions that did that. And in that moment of acceptance, you step into somebody new. You grow a bit. You move towards a higher self in that moment. And so the change, the acceptance of who you are allows you to step into who you can be. So the acceptance of who you were at that moment allows you freedom to become somebody new in that instant. Step number two, acceptance of who you were when that incident happened. Step number three is to embrace who you become. In other words, grow. So many times I've watched people struggle with wanting to be the same person their entire life. A few weeks ago, I had somebody say, my wife keeps telling me I've changed and I'm trying to convince her that I haven't changed. Can you help me with that? And I said, congratulations, you've changed. I hope you have because if you haven't, you've lost a great opportunity for growth. You should not be the same person you were. You need to be a different person. We all need to be different people. We all need to be growing. And so embrace who you are becoming. Embrace the new person you can be. So many times I've heard people in therapy say, well, that's just not me. I can't do that. The idea of me, the concept of being a me, is who we choose to be. We can always choose to be somebody different. If you've ever moved to a new city, you may have had the moment where you realized that you had a new opportunity to be whoever you wanted to be. It's the same thing that happens when lots of people go to a new high school or a a new college or university or a new job. They recognize that they're stepping into a place that nobody knows them and therefore they can be whoever, whomever they wish to be. And in the moment, they find freedom to grow to be somebody different because who we are is who we choose to be in this moment and in the next moment. And the next person can be a better person moving forward. So part of this process is embracing that, embracing who you are becoming because you embrace that you are constantly growing and learning. So you take some action and you look back and you're not so proud on it. Embrace who you are becoming, accept who you were at that moment, but embrace who you're becoming that won't do that again, that can look at things differently. Which brings us to step number four. Because remember, there are consequences to the past behavior. There are things we have to live through. So step number four is to make amends where you can. Again, this is one of those steps straight from recovery, where we make amends where it's possible to make amends. Years ago, 
I got a letter from somebody in my teen years who had been an alcoholic. He had been uh, a, a person in my life, an adult in my life, and in, in my teen years had been drinking when he should have been watching out for me and taking care of me um, at uh, some uh, conventions along the way. And he felt bad about that. So he wrote me this nice letter about how he regretted that so much. He was making amends for his past. He couldn't take that away, but he was working so that he could find a different way to move forward for himself. It was partly for me to take responsibility for his actions towards me, but a great piece of what he was doing was apologizing to me so that he could release it from himself. So we make amends. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's a conversation. Uh, Maybe it's replacing something. Maybe it's giving back something. Maybe it's making repairs where you can. The reason this is powerful is because once you've done what you can, you can say, I did what I could. I made a mistake, but now I've done what I can to repair that. And that's a powerful action when you're able to do that. When you make amends, you're stepping back away from those events and you're releasing them. Now, yes, you do in that moment have to revisit whatever it was. Revisit the words you said or the actions you took. But then you get to release that because that is step number five. Release those things from the past. When they come back up to say, I am now a different person. I understand things differently. I am not that person anymore. I will not be that person anymore. And I've apologized for it. Remember that whatever we do, we trap ourselves only as long as we're unwilling to forgive ourselves. We trap ourselves only as long as we're unwilling to step free of that. When we accept that we all make mistakes, then we begin to find freedom. One of my basic tenets of life is that we all do the best we can where we are at that moment. That's not optimal life. It's not optimal living, but it's doing the best we can where we are in that moment. So why is that important? Because it allows us to be empathetic towards other people and empathetic towards ourselves. I encourage spouses to look at each other and recognize that we do the best we can given where we are. We might be able to do better in an hour or a day after a nap, after a good night's sleep, after some time away. We can always do better. After we realize that there's some place to grow, we can always do better. And so I, I suggest that people give that benefit of the doubt to their spouse, that people are doing the best they can where they are. But that also applies to themselves that I do the best I can where I am at that moment. I might realize a little bit later that I could have done something different, but in that moment, it seemed reasonable. So I work to forgive myself for those actions, but not just forgive, but to make a change so I'm not that person anymore. And the magic of self-forgiveness is recognizing we get to be somebody different. We choose to be somebody different, and we can step forward in that process. I hope this has been helpful. This series has been helpful. If this has been helpful, you might recognize that there might be some laws that you've been breaking, that you haven't been obeying, these natural laws around us. I call them the immutable laws of living because when we're stuck, we're often disobeying one of those laws. That book is now out, The Immutable Laws of Living. It's a series of laws that you may not even know you're breaking, but once you start obeying them, life starts falling into place. You can learn more about that by going to theimmutablelawsofliving.com, theimmutablelawsofliving.com. And if that's too much to remember, 
The website you can go to is INeedThatBook.com. INeedThatBook.com. And that will deliver you to the website. Or you can just go to wherever you normally buy your books and grab The Immutable Laws of Living. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to have a thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.